You're listening to episode 326 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our examination of the BBC's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And the studio feels or a little empty. Or is it? Or is it, right. But uh, the studio feels a little empty tonight, you know? Yeah, um, yeah sorry. <laughs> uh, we had the good fortune to record with Fred last week and spend some time with him. We got to go out to dinner. It was just a lot of fun, and, and uh, time just really flew. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was good. It was nice to meet Fred face-to-face and you know, hang out and talk and everything. It was, it was very interesting. It was a nice night. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because as he mentioned to me in one of his messages, it might have been in the the message, the group message that he sends to both of us, that being able to associate a real person with that voice you hear on the podcast is really meaningful. I mean, it, it adds a lot. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, just about every podcast I listen to, maybe every podcast I listen to, I don't really know the person except maybe, you know, Michael. <laughs> but other than right. that, uh, the, the one or two podcasts he does without me, the Twelve Monkeys, uh, for instance. Although that's that's ended, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so, I do. Yeah, it, it's right. just a layer there, so it was cool. Yeah. Uh, before we go on, I want to thank the patrons that we have. Mark, Fred, of course, Dan, Cindy, Travis, and Mike. And, you know, we do have a Patreon account to help offset some of the costs of producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, and there are a few goodies that are outlined on the Patreon page, which you can get by going to patreon.com slash Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, or you can go to the website, Sci-Fi TV Rewatch.podbean.com and... Check it out there. There's a link at the right side of the page. As always, if you want to contact us with some feedback, questions, comments, the email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail with the leave voicemail tab, record your own as Fred does each week. Send us the attachment, encourage you to join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. And, and one of the things I've noticed about the discussions on the Facebook group and this does not come as a shock to me, nor I'm sure to you. Post-dark, I think people are having a little trouble getting really excited about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell <laughs> to the point of, of posting. And and we get that. I mean, we're going to go ahead and finish it, uh, as we said last time. It's only seven episodes, and, and still what we're going to do next is up in the air, but... I guess it is what it is. Uh, I think, like a lot of listeners, I'm going to need to have you help me through it tonight because I like it, but I don't love it. Yeah, I get that. And in terms of a letter grade, and I think I probably forgot to ask you last episode, and I just went with a B-plus for both of us, I'm not sure I'm even in the B-plus range on this episode, even though there's a lot to like. I mean, I'm certainly in the B, solid B, and you know, I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I, w- I would reserve my grade until we, you know, kind of get through it. Um, but I, I did like this episode, though. I think I like this more than previous ones, and uh, well, if, uh, we'll get into those reasons as we uh, as we talk about it. So, okay, um, in the what we're watching segment, did I mention? the Netflix series Daybreak, which is a post-apocalyptic comedy. I, I am trying to think whether you mentioned it to me or we talked about it last week. I can't, I just throw it out there. Anyway. Okay. So I'm three episodes in and it is, it's really good. It's again, when you say post-apocalyptic comedy, those are two terms that don't ordinarily go together, which is one <laughs> right. of the beauties of the show. But as you get into it, and I'm three episodes in, is that our main character, Josh, is on a Campellian hero's journey. And there, there's even one point in the episode where Josh tells his friend, come on, let's go. And the guy looks at him, no, you have to cross the threshold by yourself. Which is, of Ooh. course, one of the specific stages sure. of, of Campbell's hero's journey. 
And it's just really fascinating the way the way they do it. Dude, when I tell you there's probably 500 cultural references, I'm probably missing another 500. <laughs> it is just <laughs> okay. every time you turn. But, you know, they just all work. And, right. and, and I think I, I don't know whether I should mention who plays the principal of the high school at which the story is centered because they do flashback before the bomb goes off in Glendale, California. But just think of all your iconic teenage movies and who would make the perfect principal. And I'm just leaving it at that. I'll tell you off air. I don't want to spoil anything. All right. Well, I'm going to take a couple guesses here. Okay. All right. Just and then and then we'll find out later. So I'm guessing uh, Jamie Lee Curtis or oh I just said well no Kurt Russell. I will just say that this person in the movie that this person appeared in as a teenager was a thorn in the principal's side. Oh Matthew Broderick, I bet. Okay, moving on. all right the other thing i'm watching is a show that i know i've mentioned in the past and season three of atypical returns to netflix and and the central character here is is a young man who has uh, autism and he's fairly high functioning but he's he's clearly autistic and season three he goes to college. It's just a wonderful show. It's not heavy, but but there there is deep ideas there. It's just they're half hour episodes. You can burn through the season in a hurry. It's just can't recommend it more. Okay. But uh, so, what are you watching? I've completely dropped in the deep end of the pool with Watchmen. Like I'm just all in. Like I'm just revisiting everything. Oh wow! Um, so after we watched episode two, um, so this weekend I went back because actually I was listening to a podcast and they were obviously not fans of the movie. So I was like, you know what? I I thought I liked the movie. I th- I said the movie's pretty good. I went back and watched. I'm like, yeah. What do they got against the movie? I thought the movie's good. And then I went even further and I went thumbing through my comics and pulled out the old graphic novel I bought back in 1986 that the pages are starting to yellow now and everything and probably have read the thing three or four times, but I'm going for either, you know, four or five times now. I'm going to read it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, try, you know, just really getting back into all things Watchmen. So that, that's been fun. I finished up season one of Jack Ryan, and season two is now out. I haven't seen any of it yet, though, so I'm very excited about that. I haven't had a chance to. And then uh, you know, a show you had mentioned before is uh, Undone on Amazon, which has uh, been really, really good. I haven't finished it yet, but it's uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I, I, I love Cinescope. I didn't know I loved it, but I love it. Yeah, well, and I think that, and also the the actors they have in it are awesome. The, I'm not even sure who plays the lead, but she's amazing. She's so funny, and of course, Bob Odenkirk is just like he's he's just the man. It's just awesome. So, yeah, it's really good. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk a little magic. Jonathan Strange, Mister Norrell, Episode 104, All the Mirrors of the World, which by the time we get to the end of the episode really takes on a lot of meaning. This one aired June 7th, 2015. Uh, You know, one of the things as I'm doing my rewatch that occurs to me, and we'll, we'll talk about lady pole in a more detail later on, but so the townspeople just simply accept the fact that lady pole has been brought back to life from the dead and just is what it is. I don't think anyone ever knew that she was dead in the first place. Oh, okay. So they just basically kept it within their inner circle. Yeah. And, okay. All right. And and that certainly makes sense. A lot of this episode, 
and and you know i do like this episode don't get me wrong i know you said you liked it better than than previous episodes or or at least the the one before it but i i like the interplay between jonathan and arabella because arabella is such a great character Mm -hmm. and she's been totally supportive of her husband and he does the fundamental husband mistake when he blames her hey you're the one told me to get a job yeah well we say things sometimes that we as soon as they escape the mouth we realize objectively you know i don't think i should have said that but it's too late and you are in the hot water already yeah, and and I love her response to it, which is calm, collected, and again, that's one of the things that I love so much about her is that she is her own person, and, and we mentioned that with that one incident where I forget what the food is, but she says, I, I can speak for myself. I'm not a child. I can tell you what right. I want or don't want, but she's understandably worried that he's going to be bored at home now that he's tasted war and of course this is a time period when that where men and women still viewed war as this glorious romanticized vision of something that it really wasn't and you know she's pinning medals on his jacket she's more concerned that he's resuming his apprenticeship with norrell almost than she was sending him off to war yeah, absolutely. And she just, well, you know, since her uh, her friendship was created with Lady Pole, and Lady Pole really despises Mr. Norrell, and so Arabella thinks there's something dodgy about Norrell, which there totally is. Um, so, so that's kind of where that's coming from. And so therefore, you know, that's why she's so concerned about her husband going back with this guy. You're absolutely right. Seeming more concerned about that than, than him going off to, uh, as he so often says, fight in the peninsula. Also, do you think maybe it's more about Norrell than it is his profession as a magician? Because he does make that decision later on that that i i think we'll see obviously is going to change where he agrees to give up magic in the practical sense and it'll be interesting to see whether she really supports that decision now we could say that neither of them has a choice now that he's been called up from the uh reserve team but i guess this is a time that that he can't refuse the call but it just I, I just find this aspect of it fascinating because they they both don't even really know what it's like to be married because the time they've been married they've been apart so much right yeah exactly um and he even says at one point you know basically like uh, you know i'm you know looking forward to being married you know like so yeah they absolutely haven't really had a chance to even you know yeah get into that part of the relationship and to to be together on a daily basis and when he's in london he doesn't really have time to just hang out with her and and so you can see you know they're both really kind of happy that he's made this decision to retire to the country and no longer pursue magic and of course fate intervenes and and so that is no longer possible it's like she was happy i think at first that he Took up because he was kind of shiftless before, right? You know, he was just kind of, you know, living off his dad's money and not really doing anything, and um, you know, not you know really focused or having any purpose to his life. Then he finds it, and now he's. We see that Jonathan is this curious um, person who who always wants to. You know, he's just so excited about learning and discovering things, you know, and. You know, Norrell and Arabella are united in this desire for him not to pursue magic the way he wants to pursue it, seeing the danger. But he absolutely, you know, and a couple of times people say it's dangerous. And he's like, well, yeah, that's why it's so cool, you know, like, um, so it's this idea of pursuing this 
potentially dangerous aspect of his job that's really got her, you know, one of the many things that has her uh, turned off to magic now. Well, yeah, and she even says part of it is she didn't know that she was marrying one of the greatest men of the age. And, and of course, that comes from the fact that he's now not only the king's magician, but certainly uh, Wellington's magician. But, you know, it, it even goes a little beyond that because we see a little bit of jealousy when she hears that the scuttlebutt is that Jonathan is taking on students, including a Miss Gray, who claims that he's been teaching her magic. And, and as she points out to Jonathan, when she confronts him in, in a pretty subtle way. Uh, not so she, subtle, but. Well, not so slightly. subtle. Uh, <laughs> or maybe less confrontational that right. she points out she's not really that attractive, but still, and he goes, well, I think I would remember 400 guineas or whatever. I, I might yeah. forget the woman, but not the 400 guineas, which yeah. Yeah. I guess speaks to the fact that they're not overflowing in money, which again, begs the question, well, where does Norrell get all his money? And uh, I guess that's something we don't necessarily, uh, need to know but it's clear that people are spreading rumors which we ultimately learn none other than draw light uh, go figure right <laughs> what a sleaze ball yeah he's yeah he's well he's he's getting his that's for sure um but yeah you could see that and it speaks to what we we're just talking about here their relationship is i don't think she actually thinks jonathan was carrying on with this woman but from her perspective, it's something that he was doing. Uh, he wasn't, but it was, from her perspective, she thought he's taking on students, but he hasn't ever told me about this. Why would they tell me? You know, and so it's like he's keeping secrets. Um, now, obviously, they find out that he wasn't at all, and Jonathan's way too honorable to do anything like that. But you know, you could see these kind of uh, fissures in their relationship, kind of not. not I don't know if figures is a good word, but you just see that they, they're going through some of the the ins and outs that all married people have to. And like you said, I think it really mostly comes out of the part that they just really haven't had a time to work through these things. It's Everything's been a whirlwind since they've been married. Right. And, you know, on the one hand, you know, you mentioned there are some cracks in their relationship, not deep cracks. But still, any marriage is going to experience those. It's just that these are appearing sooner in their relationship. But they also parallel the cracks in his relationship with Norrell, which really come out in this episode to the point that, that he tells Norrell, we're done. And yep. on the one hand, you already mentioned that, that Bell is, is certainly terrified of her husband's abilities because he does confide in her. He does tell her what's going on. And on the one hand, maybe Norrell is right to fear certain kinds of magic, but then it always seems to come back to this self-centered attitude that maybe his reluctance is that he's, not competent enough to perform the magic that Jonathan, maybe he can't get to the King's roads the way Jonathan's right. been able to. Yeah. That, that certainly seems to be, you know, playing into it a bit. I mean, we see you know, Fred will bring up later how the scene where they go to the King and Jonathan has three medals to Mr. Norrell's one. And he's definitely chafing as Jonathan is becoming the, kind of like the lead guy and, and the, you know, is accomplishing more, I guess, uh, with English magic than he is. And so he really wishes to, for he really wants Jonathan to go back into his box and just be the student again in that subservient position. But we see by the end of the episode, he is willing to give everything up and basically give Jonathan pretty much anything he wants if he'll just stay. Right. But Jonathan gets in that, that final parting shot by reviewing the book that LaSalle writes that's basically just a, a 
as Bell even points out, it praises and probably exaggerates everything that Norrell has done and omits anything of meaning that Jonathan has done. And while he doesn't seem all that bothered by it, he, he does set out to write a review that they find to be quite disturbing because it's so scathing and so honest. And yeah. I, I did love the fact that, though, the two men do meet face-to-face to discuss it. And, of course, that's where Jonathan finally tells him, you know, this is it. And he even points out, I have a little difficulty being referred to as your pupil because everybody knows at the worst they're equals, which is something that Norrell grudgingly acknowledges during that conversation. Yeah, and that's what, you know, Mr. Norrell is just like, whatever you want. No, you, we're equals. I'll, you can read whatever book you want. You know, all these restrictions he's put on John, he's completely willing to give up all of them. He just, he so desperately wants Jonathan just to stay and to have someone to speak to and to bounce ideas off of and to, he, he wants a, a magical colleague. There's no one else in the world that he can you know, interact with like he can with Jonathan. Right. Now, were you bothered at all when she suggests not attaching his name to the book or, or did you just feel like that was just good advice that a wife's given to her husband? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see any problem with that. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't either. And, you know, all the while this is going on is when he's starting to experiment with the mirrors and a lot of what comes out of this episode is the concept of madness and whether or not it can be cured by magic. And, of course, we know what Lady Pole's problem is. And I guess on the one hand, it is a form of madness, but certainly not in the same way as the king. But he's not convinced, Jonathan, that is, that madness can't be cured because, as he says, you've held back so many of the texts from me and the desperation that Norrell is now exhibiting. uh, The reality is hitting him that uh, is it fair to say he realizes that his meal ticket may be walking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, but I really, I I mean, that's definitely part of it, right? Like he definitely is, is going to, is probably realized because he, he knows like he, I have to destroy him uh, before he destroys me, yeah. uh, which is the last thing he says there. And so th- there is that where he sees Jonathan is very powerful and has the ability to potentially uh, destroy him. But I really think he's just genuinely hurt at the end and is just distraught that that Jonathan is leaving not you know maybe I, 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 I'm saying like not unlike a parent who sends a kid off to school or a kid who moves out or something like that because that's different that's something you're that's like a goal you're working towards that's something you strive for it's still kind of a little painful when you say oh my you know, son or daughter is now an adult and grown up and they don't really need me anymore. Um, so I, I, th- I feel like it's a little bit of that, but I think it's mostly that he's just com- come to rely on Jonathan as, like I said, as his colleague, as this person uh, to whom he can talk about magic and, and who he can learn more about magic with. And, and now that's, that's gone. Okay, and, you know, and I wonder whether some of his interpersonal problems are the fact that he doesn't interact with people other than children mass uh, up until recently, you know, and it's almost as if he just doesn't know how to conduct and, and function in a normal relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, well, he definitely does. Yeah. does not know how to um, have a normal, and he, with children mass, he doesn't have, I mean, the, the freaking guy got shot, took a bullet for him. Yeah, what he, the hell are you he doing laying around? Useless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've been lying you've been lying here for days. You you're totally useless. Like, <laughs> wow. You know? Like 
I, you like look at him like, oh, he's joking, right? Oh no, he's not joking. He's really pissed that Children Mass is having the lion after taking the bullet for him. You know, it's like wow. Yeah. Now you know we mentioned the mirrors, and, and I guess the big reveal, I guess, is a good way to uh, say it, is that we learned that the Raven King's magic has been hidden behind the mirrors in England and Jonathan I guess it's fair to say is the first to discover it because certainly Norrell hasn't discovered it but he discovers it when they're playing pool and he has to prove to these guys that don't believe he's actually Jonathan Strange and this is while we're still piecing together who's going around impersonating him and he disappears into the mirror he doesn't know where he's going, right? He's just no going into the mirror the way he sent that document way back in the beginning, you know. Yeah, and and, and he and the king too, and the king, right? And and he is in there and he's scoping the place out, and, and then we see him exit in another scene, and this is where we see this woman, Mrs. Bullworth, who was apparently paid <laughs> draw light, and. She has a list of punishments she wishes carried out on people she despises. And, you know, it's a it's a funny scene, but I, I think it illuminates maybe something that Norrell is concerned with, that magic used for ill purposes is going to do nothing but remove the legitimacy, which he claims to to fight for. And and I think we believe him at this point that he wants to make magic respectable and magicians respectable. And I mean, certainly Jonathan's doing his part with his army duty, but (laughs) it was just a great way to, to inject a little bit of humor because there's not a lot of humor in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's, and the humor is is there, but it's very restrained, you know. Like it's, it's very, you know, kind of proper and stiff kind of humor. But yeah, you know, like the the lady as Jonathan is reading her 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 list of of horrible things she wants happening. You see her lips moving <laughs> as he reads, so she's like. You know, she knows it by heart, uh, right. obviously. And and um but but yeah, you know, you're absolutely right in that you know, we have kind of judged Mr. Norrell kind of harshly, I guess, saying that all he cares about is this the respectability of English magic and he's just too into that and it's you know you know, why you know, we're wondering why. Why is he so concerned? And then here's a good example of, of why he should be concerned and why he wants to restrict the use of magic and and how what types of magic because of 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 the people like this lady who would have magicians you know kill her mother-in-law and rain horrible punishments down upon uh, her husband yeah i mean that's that's exactly the type of thing that that norrell is trying to prevent yeah and, and i think the thing that comes out of this episode though is that when we talk about respectable magic it's almost like magic that we can understand and we understand its purpose as in building a road for the army troops to successfully march to meet their enemy and and that's something that really we can quantify and and it is perceived as respectable but now that he's discovered the king's roads well, as he even says to Bell that their paths between this land and other realms are parallel worlds. And, and it takes me back to Van Helsing, which I, I know you don't know, but the, the main character, Vanessa, finds herself in similar situation. And as, as the reviewer for Den of Geek, each time she goes there, I, I find it difficult to try to explain what's going on and i love the last episode where her character comes out and says yeah i don't know what it is it just is Uh, move on (laughs) i'm like good thanks for taking me off the hook um (laughs) but clearly bell is worried that he's going to put himself in danger again and and now we see him and again he even brings this up later that sense of 
discovery that necessarily accompanies a bit of danger that, you know, nothing great was ever accomplished without some pain involved. And while that's easy for me to say as the third person, and on the one hand, it's easy for him to say as the willing participant from her perspective, ah, what, I just, I feel so badly for her. Yeah, right. Because it's this fear of the unknown. Because it's this is totally unknown. It's there's no maps. There's nothing here. He is just putting it out there, and that is innately dangerous, as you said. So for him, you know, he just can't see that though. Yeah, you know, he's so jazzed about the 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 thrill of discovery and exploring that he almost refuses to even think about how dangerous it could be yeah and does he even get how terrified she is no i don't uh, think he does at all yeah yeah he just gets put off by it you know he's like what why are you why are you so mad like what, what's your problem you know like he, he gets you know annoyed with her and she's just like she's concerned and scared because he isn't thinking about the danger. All he, he's so wrapped up in the excitement of discovering, he's not even thinking about how it, it could be potentially dangerous. Well, right. He tells Norrell when they're talking about the book, which LaSalle claims that uh, he murdered. But where is the wonder of England's past? And you've got Norrell on the one hand that wants to approach everything very carefully, very meticulously. We want to keep things nice and black and white and gray. And Jonathan is just this rainbow of colors that sees this other world out there. And I'm not sure it's fair to say he doesn't understand the dangers. It's almost as if he doesn't care. He's he's willing to take the chance. But, dude, it's not just you anymore. And he doesn't quite grasp that yet. You know, and and the thing is, like we'd say, Mr. Norrell is uncompromising, but actually he makes loads of compromises. He's the one who really reaches the handout to Jonathan at the end here. And Jonathan's the one who has now become completely uncompromising on the other end. Like, no, I can't go back to you. You know, you're refusing to pursue this type of magic and... We just we got nothing to talk about then, yeah. You know, and 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 what they obviously and ultimately you can see it's called Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. So while at the point they're enemies, I mean we can imagine that's not going to last throughout, and that ultimately they're both going to have to come closer to some middle ground to to go forward because you know like Jonathan's while exciting as we see does present a, an aura of danger with it um, and mr norrell's conservative approach you know doesn't give them any possibility of of new learning and, and exploring a potentially incredible resource here right and you know this is the fourth episode of seven so we're really at that midpoint and certainly this episode does function as a turning point but before we get to some more detail about Mr. Norrell, we, we get that scene where the gentleman appears and tells Stephen to find Moss Oak, which I don't think is a real thing. I, I looked it up and there are all sorts of moss and oak, but, but not what he pulls out. So he pulls out this big piece of wood or whatever it is, pulls out a lady's handkerchief, which we know belongs to Belle, squeezes it over the moss oak and then peels the bark away to reveal Arabella underneath. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before. I'm not a fan of the duplicate character as a plot device, which well, talk to the lady who wrote the, uh, who wrote the novel, right? I know, but uh, clearly that's where we're headed. And it it just, it, it just makes me cringe to think about, some of the things that Jonathan is going to have to work through because of this doppelganger and, and whether it's going to be like in the magicians where that one guy 
made a duplicate of God. I can't think of her name now. Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't speak. The it right. makes a golem. Ostensibly, it looks like to just have sex with. But uh, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Jonathan was supposed to go meet Norrell at the beginning of the episode, but uh, I think he and Bell took a little detour to yeah. the bedroom there for a minute. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, uh, getting to Norrell. Well, I, 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 I actually, I think he was going to go to the king. He went to the king, but he was a little late, though. Oh, you're so, right. You're right. He, he was. That's right. Norrell was waiting for him in that big room yeah. that... Uh, just it's just spent all that time side. getting them right. dressed. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get that cold open in the episode. The screaming lady pole, the wounded children master brought into the house, and Norrell is only worried about his and Magic's reputation. And again, we don't have to rehash, you know, what he's really about here, but but certainly that's impressed on us right from the beginning. Sure. And we, there's going to be a cover story that it was French spies that shot uh, Children Mass. But, yeah. uh, but you know, he, you know, it's really funny because I always like older sh- shows that take place in – you know, in, in previous centuries, and whenever they show the medicine, we always look and say, "Oh my God, how how backward is their medicine?" You know, and then I, then I think of like how you know, two hundred years from now, they'll look back and say, "Oh, MRIs and wow, that was t- laser eye surgery. God, barbarians they were." You know, like well, well, yeah, and, and here, and I'm not sure what children masses vision is really all about where he finds himself alone near some rocks and right finds himself in bed so whether this is just a standard fever dream but at this point norrell is in total denial and and we're trying to figure out what they're going to do with lady pole and we hear mentioned she's going to be sent to bedlam which is of course a famous english insane asylum and you know there's there was a series a british series called bedlam that i i think i saw the first couple episodes that it took place oh yeah i remember modern times uh yeah yeah that show was all right yeah but norrell's afraid that even if they send her to bedlam that'll compromise him because apparently and i didn't know that this was a thing that rich people would pay money to come in and observe the the people now at this time they were right. referring to them as lunatics and and observe them as you know I, I guess animals in a zoo which is pretty horrific when we think about it now and then Childermas says i'll take care of lady pole and i mean Childermas comes across as this kind of guy that we believe oh yeah he'd kill her in a second but then he does stuff that you think nah he wouldn't so I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. Well, yeah, and you know, this also when he goes to uh, Staircross to meet with her, you know, he just he looks sketchy, right? He looks like he's got something bad planned for her. And of course, she shot him, so we are thinking, well, yeah, he totally wants to harm her, or maybe kill her even but i don't think so you know yeah well we like get that it, scene uh, where, where he's talking to sir walter and they're shaking hands as as she's put in the carriage and driven away so i guess maybe he says i'll take care of her meaning i've got a place she can go out of the public eye and ironically it turns out uh to be segundus who last we knew was trying to open a magic school, but I guess Norrell put the kibosh on that, so he decides to open yeah. some some sort of uh, treatment facility, I guess. Well, I, you almost get a feeling like, yeah, yeah, I, right. Like it, it's we're, we're not sh- we're not. Sh- At first, I thought maybe like it was Mister Norrell had set this up specifically, um, but. He didn't like, you know that that that's pretty clear that they are not associated with Norrell at all, right? But it, they are associated with Childermass, or so it seems. 
And we, we of course, get that scene later where Children Mass comes to the to the home and is denied entrance. And I forget who the other guy with Segundus is that pulls out the shotgun or what do they call those blunderbuss or I have not a, a blunderbuss is like a like a handgun kind of thing. Oh, okay, okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's something a, a, a you know a, a type of um, you know shooting implement that uh looks you know fairly threatening so right and to this point they've had lady pole restrained in her chair again a heartbreaking scene she's not doing anything though to plead her case to be released at that point but she overhears segundas defending her to children mass who even tells her there's less to this lady than meets the eye. And of course we know what he means, but it seems to have a calming effect on her and Segundus removes her restraints. But Stephen, who's there, there seems to be this aura of magic that surrounds her. And, and that's what Childermass saw on the street that day. And, and again, I guess that's one of the things I like about this episode is this, unexplained idea that we're we're dealing with here is that certain people can sense magic even though we don't see it anywhere so not sure what what any of this means but i like it nonetheless i don't know it's just like kind of this fascinating aspect of this as as to what children mass is up to and we've only he's always been this really enigmatic figure because and we've mentioned this before, we're like just not sure exactly what his deal is, you know. Like he's not quite a servant. He's definitely not an equal. He you know, we I think we've likened him to like a, a, a band's manager or something like that. You know, kind of making sure that they get to their interviews on time. Yeah. But you know, it's just like really we're not sure what his deal is, you know, and then this attempting to go and meet lady pole just another kind of aspect of him that you know it's becoming increasingly more fascinating yeah because this is after all the person that shot him yet right it's as if there's something about her that you know really doesn't explain the reality of what's going on here and then i also love lady pole going on about spending her life in chains and and again is she referring to marriage women's lack of rights at this time period and of course we've got the literal chains now that she's been brought back and she's perceived as suffering from some sort of madness but well also there's like the you know the the quote-unquote chains that the gentleman has around her as well right right so well let's uh talk finally though about the king because we don't see him a lot but there's a lot happening when we do see him and you know they go to meet him he's plunking away at the harpsichord even though norrell goes in with the attitude there's nothing we can do with magic to cure him nonetheless he appears because i guess it looks good on his resume that's not enough for Jonathan because he goes back on his own against Norrell's wishes. The king starts talking about seeing his companion with silver hair, who we assume must be the gentleman. The king's looking into a mirror, talking about kings, and he just walks into the mirror and disappears. And, and wow, okay. And, and, you know, of course, we see him walking along that road finds a sword in his hand uh, i'm sorry steven then finds the sword in his hand runs toward the king intending to kill him uh, jonathan frantically tries to reverse the spell and the king returns to his harpsichord so uh how he knew <laughs> that time was of the essence at that point isn't really clear well, but i i think i would have been shitting my pants right from the moment the king disappeared because you just lost the king. Right. That's probably rather frowned upon. Yeah, so he's just like but but yeah, his 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 panic does mirror the the grave danger that the king is actually in. 
Well, the other thing is the king, once he comes back, he says something about, you know, it's, it's been 946 years since I left 1810 or something. I'm thinking like, does he think it's 2756 or? Yeah. Uh, so that was I don't, weird. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to get into time travel here or what, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, talking about this episode, there, there's a lot to like. I mean, we've got the Mad King versus King Stephen versus the Raven King and the King's Road. So there's all this details going on. So I don't know. I, I guess I maybe I like this one a lot better. But uh, anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Um, you know, the, the, we've never really heard how daft the gentleman's plan is until now. And they were just like, that is, that is insane. He wanted Stephen to kill George the third in order for Stephen to become the new King of England. And even Stephen's like, he's got 13 kids. And the gentleman's <laughs> right. kind of like waves that off. Like, yeah, a bunch of dopes. Yeah. So when you, you really think about it, like, this plan is completely mental. Like it it definitely would not shake out that way. If Stephen killed the king, then they they wouldn't make him the next king. Yeah, but so the uh, so you know we really see here you know how like kind of irrational and and daft uh, the the fairies are, or you know the the gentlemen at least here is. Um, and then you know that you know calls into question like all his other plans and this this plan to you know to, to bring down Jonathan again while it looks rather kind of scary on the surface is it really just some nutty unrealistic plan completely that has like zero chance of actually working? Oh, we learned the Raven King's name. Oh, and I forgot to write it down. It's something unusual. John Usglass. That's right. U-S-K-G-L-A-S-S. So, yeah, so that was, you know, it's funny, like, by referring to him as the Raven King, it's almost like he is some made-up fictional character, but by giving him a name name, now it's like, oh, whoa, okay, so he's a real dude, you know. Um, he's not like a, a real, real dude, but you know, like, you know, it, it gives us a feeling that that he's an actual man uh, rather than some uh, mythical, fictional character, right? Or a fairy, as uh, the gentleman, you know, is right. So, but but there's some saying by giving him that name, yeah, we, yeah, he seems less like a fairy and more like a, a person, you know. Okay, well, you want to go on to Fred's feedback. Um, well, just one more thing. I love okay. the scene where they're playing pool or billiards. I don't know what game. They have multiple white balls, so I guess it wasn't pool as we know. But you know, the, the guys come in and they're like, well, can, you know, we want the table. And they're like, uh, we're using it. And, and these guys from obviously these hicks from out in the country um, you know, refuse to accept that. And the like the one guy is just doing all the talking and Mr. Tantony um, is not talking. And the other guy is talking for Mr. Tantony. And like, I don't know why they did it like that, but it was very funny. Mm-hmm. And and of course that's where Jonathan, you know, learns, uh, figures out now that people are definitely paying someone to get magical advice from him. Right. We're not farmers. We're brewers. Yeah. Eh, we got plenty of beer. So yeah. All so, right. Uh, well, let's let's hear good. what Fred has to say this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, Season One, Episode Four. Whoa! This gives a different feeling. Having dinner with you five days ago. It's now Saturday, the second of November, and recorded the sci-fi tv rewatch podcast on how tv series bring people together and that was quite different than i expected because i was expecting that we would do 
Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell episode 5 just as a podcast together but you had another idea and had a general discussion which was very very nice but before I left for the States I already recorded a little feedback for this episode 4 and I will play that later won't record that again but as I said in my last feedback for episode 3 I wouldn't have listened to your audio feedback about episode 3 so I could not reflect on that and that in the meanwhile is not true anymore because I did listen to it because of the nice other idea and of course recording this gives me now a quite different feeling because I met you both in person now being in your studio Dave yeah gives a complete different feeling and it was also nice to meet your lovely wife Mary and I'm very very happy that we did this although I was very tired and not feeling very well actually but uh, I did manage and arrived home safely after all okay I will play now my audio feedback for episode 4 as I recorded it before I left for the States Okay, first impressions about this episode 4. I sadly get a little bit the same feeling as in the first episode. Not too much magic, not too much effects, well, some stuff with the mirrors, but a lot of talking again. And in the first episode, the talking was about street magic versus real magic versus theoretical magic. And now it's again about new magic, respectable magic, and old magic that's lost, and the whole thing between Norrell and Norrell and Jonathan about who's right. Well, amazed about the survival of Childermas when I saw the pool of blood streaming out of his body in a very fast way, I didn't think he would survive, but Obviously he did, and even without magic. I love the interaction between Arabella and Jonathan. Very emancipated, actually, this Arabella. And she is really influencing Jonathan. And on the other hand, she's proud of him, and they get a little quarrel. And But at the end, they really love each other. It was a nice interaction and arc over this episode. The funniest scene was when Norrell and Jonathan are going to see the king and they are waiting there and Jonathan has three medals and Norrell only has one. I found the picture already funny and I was actually expecting Norrell to react to it and he did. He just looked at his own one medal. Okay, Jonathan has to go back to the front for the last hundred days of Napoleon, which will end in the Battle of Waterloo, and I think we will get a lot of magic there. So that will give us some nice special effects, probably. Okay, I will leave it at this. Till next time, which will be in real life. Looking very much forward to that, guys. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Okay, that was my recording as I recorded it before I left for the United States. In the meanwhile, I did my homework and watched episode 5. So it's good I had this recording so I couldn't say anything towards the spoiler. And about the theme, what are we watching? I can add one series in the meanwhile. And that's the third season of Atypical about a autistic high-functioning young man and all he encounters going to uh, study and with his family his sister etc i know you watched it uh, dave and it just became available on netflix the third season so this is actually one i do watch together with my wife and there is uh, some recognition there because we do have a son of 18 years in the meanwhile who has HDHD and autism and is uh, yeah rather high functioning and that uh, that gives some recognition uh, uh, for this series of course it's different every 
person with autism is different, but it's uh, it's partly funny and partly uh, recognizable. Okay, that was all for this time, and I fortunately have done my homework already quite extensively for the next episode, so I will start recording uh, for episode 5 soon. Greets, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Um, You know, I suspected Fred was going to not be effusive in his praise about this episode. And, you know, when when he was here and we talked about this episode a little bit, um, I I think that certainly came across. And, And Fred, I wonder whether listening to us talk about it you know, makes you perhaps see it in a different light, because as we've said many times, that happens to us all the time. And it certainly has happened to me in the last hour, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like, if if I'm, you know, like, totally set on, you know, what I felt about it at the beginning, it's always going to change. And generally, after we talk about it, especially if I didn't like an episode, I usually decide I like it a lot more after we talk about it. Because I just, you know, you, you, you've discover things in there that make you appreciate it more yeah and he he brings up the fact that there aren't many special effects in this episode and and while that's true other than you know the mirror stuff which i guess it qualifies as special effects but but certainly well, the the king's road or the you know that that land he goes to you know it almost looks like uh, something like game of thrones or some other type of story you're right. Think in my mind that I just completely forgot what it was. But yeah, you got Game of Thrones ish, you know, like an old ruined fortress or castle or something. But just they look pretty, pretty boss. So yeah, and he mentioned like like we do. I mean, one of the strengths of this episode, I think, is the interplay between Jonathan and Arabella, and there's just so much there. The the you know the intricacies of two people trying to cope with being married while all this other stuff is going on. And it's just really fascinating. They're both such great characters, but what he brings up at the end, and I guess I forgot about it because of course it happens at the end of the episode when that officer comes in and tells him he's being called up again because Napoleon is in France. Fred brings up, the fact that he's looking forward to seeing Napoleon, the Battle of Waterloo, and I don't know if he's watched ahead or not. Well, actually, we know he's watched ahead, but I, I think he wrote this before he watched ahead. So I, I guess we're going to see Napoleon. I hope we see Napoleon. Uh, I'm sure the BBC has plenty of Napoleonic uniforms on standby. So sure. that shouldn't be a big problem. But yeah. oh, it's just so are, are we going to see history rewritten is something going to happen to change things or are we going to find out that napoleon's defeat is because of jonathan strange i can't wait so that'd be cool or maybe jonathan will get there late and you know wellington will already have won and they'll be like oh all right looks like you took care of everything here Got there late because he was uh, having a long goodbye with Bell. Uh-huh. I like right, it. I like right. it. I like it. They just need to show us a little <laughs> so bit. So I, I just said there is one thing. And I was just looking at this picture that, that Fred put in on his feedback here. You know, as Bell is dressing Jonathan, and he's you know, obviously chafing at that. He's like, I've dressed myself my whole life. She buttons up his jacket, and she buttons two buttons. And then when she turns around, he unbuttons one of them. So it's just kind of like a little funny little scene there kind of as as the uh back you know, representative of that back and forth interplay that's uh taking place in their marriage that we see all right good uh you want to leave it there or anything else i i think i'm good all right cool so what grade are you going to go with um i think a b plus okay uh, that's what i'm feeling so good we'll we'll um we'll go with that across the board so all right, well, good. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it for a lot of different reasons, but certainly I see it in a different light. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the next episode, but that's going to do it for this week's edition of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell. You know, we always bring up Dark because that's 
still waiting in the background for us to talk about once again anything else going on in genre TV. Join the Facebook group if you're not a member yet and get into the discussions there. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab on the website or just record your own and send it to us. We'll be back next week to discuss Season 1, Episode 5 of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. But until then... Well, that went very well. <laughs> <laughs>